Hi, Book Club members. I'm Jen Bozier. And I'm Carrie Honey. And this is Warhammer 40k Book Club, where we read from a crag. This is episode number 30, and our book is Resurrection, Book One and the Harusian Wars by John French. The book is about the infamous Inquisitor, Co- Inquisitor Covenant as he and his Island of Misfit Toys examine a conspiracy to kill a whole mess of Inquisitors. It's like a victimless crime, really. We posted several questions on our website, wh40kbookclub.com, to our listeners. We encourage participation in our discussions via Twitter, YouTube, our site, or Encrypted Box channel. Spoiler warning, if you haven't yet read the book, go ahead and check out the book and then come back to this post. We're going to be talking about this book from start to finish in great detail. So with that, let's dive in. First, as always, did you enjoy the book? I really did. I was pleasantly surprised. I was too, actually. Um, It was fun. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually it, got to the book and was like, huh, well, that was fun. Yeah, it, it was fun. And it, um, you know, unlike some, you know, okay, not counting Chris Rate, but, you know, if we're going to compare to our favorite Inquisitor Ravener, you know, it was the whole thing, it flowed. Mm-hmm. It made sense how the flow was going. It did. It made sense as to what they were doing. And nobody fell for anything stupid. That's true. Yes. Um, actually, reading the book, I think what one of the things that really took me by surprise was that, bear with me for a second as I explain this, despite the fact that there is this massive cover up in this conspiracy that they're chasing down, it was actually quite simple. Mm-hmm. Like, bad thing happens, people get together, they hunt down the thing. And you know, the other thing that I don't know if you noticed, but this takes this book takes place like in the span of like a week or two right it's not a long time this is basically like these are inquisitors who get shit done bad thing happens we go take care of bad thing or at least attempt to take care of bad thing so that was actually kind of refreshing too to be fair though he had spent like how many decades though like following after this guy Yes. Well, not that long. I mean, it was only it was only like a decade that they spent hunting that guy. Oh, I thought it was like two or three decades. No, because I, at least I think it was. I might have misread that. But I would have sworn he said something like how they first just un- uncovered it like 10 years ago or something, mm. which sounds like a long time. But in the Imperium, it's really nothing. Right. Like I've been spending 10 years. So we just started, really. Right. I mean, especially if you look at some of the other trilogies, like Eisenhorn, for example, that book, the first book takes place over several years. Oh, my gosh. Decades. And that's mainly because of where they had to travel. You know, the travel time took weeks and months and things like that. And, right. You know, and it, in some ways it was annoying, but I'm going to say Eisenhorn, though, but it was realistic. You know, we get so caught up in, like, watching, like, you know, 24 and stuff like that. We think this stuff happens so fast, but it doesn't. Like, right. you got research, you got travel time, you know, th- th- mm-hmm. things like that. So, but this one was able to have it, but I think because they knew exactly where they were going and what they were doing. And not right. only that, but Covenant gets this plan and he sticks with it, and then he trusts people to get it done, and they just go. Yes, I would agree that. I did like that, for one thing. So, moving to which part stood out to you. that I, There's actually not one specific part, but lots of little instances of people being like, look, we need to do the thing. 
and him being like, let's do the thing. You know, um, I will say that the parts that stood out to me the most was um, his people and even Covenant, their um, musings on Inquisitors. Um, Like, I I mean, for example, uh, Covenant's view on how Inquisitors will die. He's like, she, he's like, this is not how she would have died, how she would have wanted to die. She died how we all will, bloody and alone. And it's like, damn. Um, That was dark. When Cleander talks about how he knows there's no way out of the service, he is in this till death. Um, Oh, man. Okay, I got looked at Joseph's assessment of old Inquisitors. Mm -hmm. I'm flipping through that. So in my hardcover, it's on page 201. I'm assuming we're going to have like different pages here. I think we probably will. Oh, I think he is an inquisitor talking about inquisitor vault an old inquisitor mm-hmm. too. They don't start simple and age does not improve them. Yes. I was like, Oh my oh God. My God. That like I describes that like line. Eisenhorn to a T. But- I love that line. I have to see what page it is in mind, but I bookmarked that same passage, especially when he says he describes them as they don't start simple. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know why, but for some reason, I really liked that. At first, so when they first started dropping these little truth bombs, I thought it was a little maudlin. But then it dawned on me that I was like, oh no. Oh no, this is like Gallo's observations, basically, at this point. Is they're just like, this is just kind of the truth of things, and we've accepted that. Um, right. Well, I mean, they hit you right out the gate. Like, for me, like, so it's yes. on page 36 of the hardcover. Um. It's when Enna is going over what her master, uh, Idris, has always taught her about, about Inquisitors. Um, so she's talking about how, you know, Inquisitors are their own authority. But that individual authority meant that for every soul that served as an Inquisitor, there was a different perception of what the path of survival was and a different conviction of how to walk that path. Rather than unity, it was a body defined by divergence, and from divergence had sometimes sprung conflict, and from conflict, violence. And I was like, and that, ladies and gentlemen, is the problem with the Inquisition. Right there, nailed in three sentences. That, and when Idris tells her before the null fields came down, trust no one, and Anna's like, I wouldn't know how. Uh, I mean, I was just like, wow, this book is going to be an analysis of the Inquisition. And it really was, but it was, in it a, really is, but it was in a fun way. It was almost like, um, I was going to say like, almost like if ADB wrote about the Inquisition, but he wouldn't have been as kind. He would not have made Covenant this hero. Um, it was just such a, it was just such a nice analysis. And it wasn't like, oh, we have, it was a very much proof of there are no heroes here right well yes that's that's a good way of putting that that these are just these are just people and it's one of the things that i think we've talked about and they really go into this in this book that and i know we're going to talk a lot more about this later but these are people 
every bit as fallible as any other person in the Inquisit or the Imperium, but these people wield power absolute. And you start to see, you start to see the issues and the pitfalls associated with that, right? right. These people trust no one. They die awful, horrible deaths. Um, I think this is really also an example of the um, the Harvey Dent speech, where either you die the hero or you live long enough, right? I felt as though this book really kind of starts to touch on that. Right. Uh, yeah. So I really liked the Inquisitor, just kind of the general, like, this almost felt, almost felt like a State of the Union address. Like, so here's where the Inquisition is at right now. And in case you don't believe me, let me just show you a little thing that happened here. And I, at first, on paper, when you say it that way, it doesn't sound like it would be very interesting, but it really is. Yeah, I mean, so just from this, those first, those early sentences alone, I was like, wow, there was the definition of the problem with the Inquisition. And then, you know, it delves further into... Um, you know, some of their individual beliefs. And, you know, no other faction really does this. And I first came across some of these beliefs when I read um, Sons of Titan, the uh, Grey Knights right. novel by David Annandale, because they talked about the Amalthene and the Xanthite. So the Xanthite, Eisenhorn. That's, that's a really good example of a Xanthite. They actually dabble in what they're supposed to be preventing to find ways to prevent what they're dabbling with. Yeah, so, which they were saying that that's what Talicto was. He was a Xanthite, meant that he was dabbling in ruinous powers in order to find a way to save people from the ruinous powers. It's this really weird paradox. And then there's, you know, the, Alma the Amalthine, which is like basically the, pure, the Puritans. Mm -hmm. We do not do that at all. But then this one introduced two other trails of thought, the Thorians and the Herusians. Yes, and we will definitely delve into those because there's a lot to unpack in this book based off of that. Well, right, but you have all these different beliefs, though. You have that kind of divergence. That's why you're going to have this conflict because obviously the Amalthanes and the Xanthites are never going to see eye to eye. Like, uh, no. Like, never. Neither. Well, and in some ways, we'll get back to that. But I think one of the things that's really interesting is that as we continue to see these different, I guess you'd call them sects of the Inquisition, it's, I think it's the pitfall, right? And again, we'll go more into this, but it's, it's this interesting thing that these people have all this knowledge and they have access to things that most people don't. And they start to go down interesting little avenues. And I thought, I thought that was really fun to see. Um, one of the parts that really stood out to me that I want to call out before we transition to our next question was the part that I clapped out loud and died laughing over. It's on uh, page 160 and 61 on my, uh, in my paperback version, but it's when they go, when Cleander and Viola go to see the, um, when they go to see the astropaths, not okay. the astropaths, the navigators. Okay. So this is page 127 in my book. Oh, okay. And I, I know love... exactly what you're talking about. At least, I think, at least I think I do, but continue. Yasmin kind of sasses them, right? Like, you being here, let us be frank. You being here is an insult to us. And it is, you should be embarrassed to be here. And 
I like how Viola just kind of smiles. And she's like, yeah, so this ship here came from, the ship that we have here, it came from you and has one of your navigators on it. And it murdered a whole bunch of people who work with my master, just so we're clear. I, I loved it because it was like, I simply oh wish all our discussions to be open and without misunderstanding. And then Viola just drops these bombs. Yasmin tries to interrupt her and she's like, and kept on going. And basically, uh, just so, so our discussions are open. Right. So the opportunity that we, that we are here to offer you is the chance to give our master a reason not to condemn the line of Yeshar to being cleansed by fire right down to your very last deformed broodling. Just so our discussions are open. <laughs> I, was just, I was like, oh my I god. died laughing. I, Viola. I did too. It was so great. So great. Oh, man. I, oh my god. Because, so I mean, talk about Yasmin coming out. It's like, all very high and mighty. Like, so, you know, it's really beneath us to even be speaking to you right now. And because you're nobodies in the road, rogue traders. It's like, that's cute. So anyway. <laughs> anyway, we work for the Inquisition. Yeah. Well, and I love, and I think I've said that. Um, I first introduced to, I was first introduced to this concept in Dan Abnett's Brothers of the Snake. Just the idea that no matter who you are and how ballsy and cocksure you think you are everyone pales to the inquisition right and i liked the idea because you know they, and, we, and we saw a little bit of this in uh rites of passage this idea that look the empire is crippled without these people and they mm. fucking know it right they act they are the aristocracy of the aristocracy because of this right but even they've got their limits that's probably one of my favorite lines out of the Rites of Passage is when, um, see, I'm so bad with names. My memory's just gone. But the main character, she was going, I think it was like her husband's uh, memorial funeral or whatever, and was going through some of the families. And she had this one family, and they're like, well, they were really high up until they came down with the terminal case of the Ordo Hereticus. Like, it's like, well, that'll do it. <laughs> well, and you know what? Rites of Passage also had another scene that I really liked. And that was the one where, remember, Chetta, the main character. Okay, that was her name. Sorry. She starts getting pissy with the Inquisitor, and the Inquisitor just all figuratively backhands her. I think she actually punches her in the gut and is like, I've had enough of your shit. I only have to deal with so much of it. And it's this really fun dichotomy of, oh, honey, you do have to answer to someone. So I don't know why, but for some reason really just like when an inquisitor or one of their minions just kind of puts somebody in their place for a minute especially if it's a navigator i'm just saying no. i really like that yeah so rites of passage maybe not really be a fan of navigators just because like i said with rites of passage i don't enjoy reading about board rich people <laughs> and their games board rich people games it's the real housewives of the Imperium. But, right. But then what they were doing in here, it's like, that's it. You know what? I really don't care about any of you guys. I know the Imperium need, needs you, but you've so lost your way. Oh, yeah. Well, and the fact that, yeah, the fact that she calls them deformed little broodlings. I mean. Well, she probably wasn't going to go that far if Yasmin wasn't such a bitch coming out. That's probably true, but I like the idea that, and we talked a lot about this in Rites of Passage, too, that these people have their own world, and they've created this sense of, look, we're obscenely wealthy, so we're just going to create our own board socialite games, mm. because literally nobody likes us. 
and nobody wants to be around us. So I did like when she, when Viola just got that little chestnut in there. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, you guys are rich and you're aristocracy and blah, 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 but you're also fucking deformed. You have a third eye. That no one else can look at. That no one else can look at without going mad. Uh, and even you guys apparently occasionally go mad. So, um, speaking, so transitioning over quickly to the narrative structure of this book is very unique for an Inquisitor novel. It was refreshing. Oh my God, wasn't it ever. Typically though, like, so looking at uh, the Vaults of Terra series, which we both really enjoy, Mm -hmm. you really get to know Crowell and you really get to know Spinoza. Eisenhorn is told first person point of view. So we know Eisenhorn very well. Uh, Ravener, we get to see Ravener's inner workings. The entourage is typically a little more amorphous. Like, again, looking at Vaults of Terra, you really can't tell me anything about Maldo Rivas, right? Other mm-hmm. than he's a badass. Um, right. So in a lot of those books, and I know we've famously complained about Ravener's entourage, right? Being very one-dimensional. This book, we really get to know his entourage, and we never really get to know Covenant. We only get to see him through his entourage's eyes. Was this effective to you? Did you like it? So, yes. And it actually reminded me a lot of the Gears of War books. Because the Gears of War books, Marcus Phoenix is the lead character, but the point of view is never told from him. It's always from everybody else around him. Even the book that's about him being in the slab is 100% like how he got there and where he is. The book is told from one of the prison guards, Anya, mm-hmm. Dom, and and uh, General Hoffman. That's it. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was so beautiful about that. I love that you never got to know Marcus's because Marcus was such this, you know, if you never played it, he's a man of few words, very kind of almost cold because he's just so stoic. And I always mm-hmm. love that the books were not written from his point of view because I thought that would ruin him as a character to get to know his inner workings. It's much more interesting hearing like from his friends and family, how, but they think how he thinks. I think the same thing in this. I see uh, um, Covenant being a lot like a Marcus Phoenix. Doesn't say very much. It's very smart. Knows how to strategize. And just gets things done with very few words. And so I think just from reading all of this and seeing everyone's point of views about him and seeing him as this stoic man, I think it would ruin his character if we got to know what he was thinking. Yes. So I think the reason that I liked it is that Inquisitors are kind of unknowable, right? And I think this was kind of John French saying that, that look, you never really, to uh, quote Zafrank about the uh, Manta shrimp, impossible to get a read on what these little bastards are thinking. (laughs) Well, with the Inquisitors, it really is, right? Like, what is his reaction to this? What is he thinking? What are all the gears turning in his head right now? Like, and especially with Inquisitors, right? Like, they're, their whole lives are this giant cat's cradle. Which threads is he pulling on right now? And we never get to know. And I think 
that's really effective because the entourage probably never gets to know. And we hear that a lot, just like typically in the other Inquisitor novels, like Ravener's a good example, um, the Hollow Mountain books are a good mm -hmm. example. The entourage is kind of like, oh, is that what we're doing now? Or all right, cool, we're just gonna we're just gonna follow them. Um, oh, a really good example of that would be, um, oh shoot, the Rachel Harrison one, Mark of Faith. Mm. Her, her people were just like, all right, we're just gonna follow you, whatever you got, lady. I liked this idea that we really don't get to see him and we don't get to know what's going on because it kind of kept us like, oh really kept up the nice illusion mm -hmm. how do you feel about covenant as a character though and as an inquisitor i really liked him and maybe it's because i didn't get to know him <laughs> you know um i don't know what's going on going on in his head you know kind of like marcus venus we don't know what's going on in his head either but we still love him anyway it's kind of the same thing because he steps in and when he does move and when he does step in and he does do things he is a complete badass about it oh my god yes i mean well, he He's very transactional. We're going to go do this thing. Yes, we are. And we're going to succeed. Like, there's no... He he goes in, and again, he goes in with that full weight of the Inquisition, right? Mm -hmm. We're going to do this because we are right, and we are going to come out on top because we are right. Dude, he's very... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um... Uh, shoot he's very rigid and by the book and just this like it reminds me of like this um not fire and brimstone preacher because obviously he's not preaching but with that same amount of conviction i could see that yeah yeah there's not a lot of questioning in covenant's, covenant's life i don't think no but you know at the same time he allows for discussion he doesn't he does he admits that he's a thorian and he doesn't push that belief. He, like, talks with, um, I don't think it was Enna. It might have been Enna. It might have been Enna, you know, about about the beliefs. And she was saying, well, that's preposterous because of this, 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 and this. And he just stops and's like, but what about with this? And she's like, well, I don't know. And he says, like, well, I'm a Thorian. And she kind of gets taken back. She's like, oh, my God, is he going to, like, you know, do something to me now? He just really wanted to know what she had to say. Yeah. Well, I got the impression that he's a man who you don't get to know him, but he wants to know you and he wants to know where you're standing. And one of the things I found was interesting is how much leeway he gives Joseph. It almost felt like Joseph was like a reverse Jiminy Cricket on his shoulder. Like he was saying all of the unfiltered things that Covenant was probably thinking too, because mm -hmm. a lot of times he would be running his mouth and Covenant would just kind of be sitting there and then finally be like. Oh, your mic just cut out. Yes, it did. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they, uh, but one of the things I liked about it was that Joseph would run these kind of unfiltered thoughts mm -hmm. and eventually Covenant would be like, okay, you're done now. But right. he definitely let Joseph get that full unfiltered out. So it's kind of one of those, well, I didn't say it. One of my minions did. But I'm not saying he's wrong. Right. Well, I think with Joseph, because you get the feeling 
Joseph's been with him for a very, very long time. Very long time. Um, so I almost wonder if Joseph is a bit of a, almost like a moral compass for him, you know, because mm-hmm. he's a priest. He's part of the ecclesiarchy. So he is a little bit moral compass and almost like a father figure. I mean, he's definitely old enough to be. Yes. Or more like a, like, like his Obi-Wan almost. Like more of like this kind of like mentor teacher mm-hmm. figure. Um, there's definitely an affection there, I would mm-hmm. say, because he does let Joseph speak very freely. Right. In fact, I think the only time he really does slap Joseph's hand, and again, not until after he's gotten out his full thought on the matter, <laughs> is when he's kind of barking at Bolt. Right. And I think that was actually probably more for Joseph's protection <laughs> than covenant thinking you need to you know you shouldn't be saying this i was more like he's going to kill you if you keep talking so i'm gonna have to like stop you right now let me make it clear that i don't support what this man said but moving on (laughs) right and i thought actually i thought the interactions with the vault and covenant were very interesting too yeah again covenant is a man of conviction oh yeah and here's this guy up in terminator armor you know, it's pretty much the head of the conclave, so he's most likely some Lord Inquisitor. And Covenant's not backing down. And he's not oh. and he's not taking his shit. Well, I do love, and I can't remember what page it is, but I did mark it. I love when Joseph is like, you know, oh, when he's talking about the bolt, and he's like, What you're saying is heresy. And oh, Bolt's yes. like, you know, blah 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 blah. And uh, Covenant's like, You're right, he shouldn't have said that. But I'll say it. It's heresy. Mm-hmm. Love that. Yeah. But again, like, this man and Terminator plate, and he's just like, yeah, you're, her- you're speaking heresy right now. No, uh, he's the firebrand. That's, there's the word I was looking for. <laughs> it had, <laughs> had fire in it and a BR somewhere. Somewhere in there. <laughs> Anyway, it's been a week. It has been a week. Uh, it has been a week. Um, but yeah, I liked that about Covenant. I found him to be very interesting. And yet we never get to know him. And I agree with you. That's, I think that's the best part, to be honest. And I hope we never get and to. I, and I was happy that he survived the attack, which I say that because... If you listened to our favorite books, Patreon episode, shameless plug, I mentioned that one of my new favorite books is The Spear of the Emperor because it has has instilled a uh, hatred for the Inquisition in me. And when I read that scene and all the Inquisitors are dying, my first thought was, good. I actually was thinking, well, I mean, I kind of want him to get out because he seems pretty cool, but... Everybody else, I don't know. So talking about his entourage that he has, he has quite the, again, the Island of Misfit Toys, like he has quite the collection. Um, Who was your favorite or who were your favorites and why? Oh, you know what? I'm going to have to say my favorite was probably Joseph. It was Anna, but it really kind of became, I I know, poor Anna. But it really became Joseph, and that's just because, 
because just because he just says how he feels. He doesn't hold anything back. And it was just cracking me up. You know, honestly, him and Cleander. Because Cleander. Oh, Cleander. Great, too. He was, because he was the kind of same way, you know, and he would, what he would do to keep, to get his crew, you know, calm, you know, be smiling and telling jokes. And then just when things were basically going pear-shaped and he was still being very calm and still making the jokes and, um, at the very end when he realizes he needs to go find Covenant like now and then Covenant Ooh. finds him and all the demons are coming up he's like so we're leaving right <laughs> oh, he just such a I did I liked Cleander a lot but I mean gosh there's, there's really you know what it'd be easier to say who I didn't like because I liked Viola you know um, I liked Anna till the end oh okay so let's talk about that really quick so Anna I think Anna probably was one of my favorite characters because she was and such a badass she was such a badass but there was i got worried when severita makes that remark that she's like i'm fast but i'm not that lady fast i was like oh oh that might not be a good thing and then when she saw the coin on the ground because right. i was reading the book i was reading the book aloud to my husband and i got to the point where she read the coin and i went oh shit and my husband was like, "Yeah." Oh, when that when that happened, when she was like, and she saw the coin, and you know, she's being to pick it up. She's like, well, "Who am I? Wait, what? What am I? What am I doing here? My name is Anna. Who's Anna? I need to go find Covenant. Wait, who's Covenant?" I was like, "And I'm like, okay, what what is going on?" And then when Idris showed up, I was like, "No, no, 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 no! Oh God, Anna, no!" I was so crushed. I was a little crushed. But so you were gonna say that your your least favorite characters in that after we discovered that she was more of a revenant than a person, right? Um, is Severita, and that's because honestly, I am really over the sisters' repentia. I am over just the wrist slashing, just at every turn. They're very melodramatic. I really wanted to like her, but her little thing about how I just wanted a choice. Once in my life, I wanted to make a choice. Yeah, exactly. The same reaction. I was like, okay. I I like the sisters. I really don't like the Repentia. No, I mean, I, guess- I like the sisters. I don't like them. Yeah. You know, same the, not- it was the same thing in Mark of Faith. You know, she's just like, you know, at the end, yeah. she's like, I'm going to repent. I was like, oh, get over yourself. All right, whatever. If that's what you feel like you need to do, fine. Go to the front lines and die, whatever. Hope you feel better. Maybe that's the price of all that conviction that they have, though. I mean, maybe that just, they just naturally have a tendency to go melodramatic. I mean, I mean, but we've seen, you know, Imperial Guard do that as well. Yes. With some of their stuff. And I think it's, I mean, it's a human trait. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that makes them, I mean, there's, they are human. They're not right. enhanced in any way. But it's not a human trait I personally like. Um, there's, a, there's a reason why, like, you and I each have someone we call a stupid friend. And it's because these are melodramatic people. Yeah. Who make stupid choices and then bemoan that the world is against them. We can only take so much of that. And yeah. get these sisters repent yet with, with their, like I said, their wrist slashing. And I was like, I'm I'm done with you. I'm I'm over you. I'm you know, and Joseph tried so much 
He had so much more patience than I did, you know, trying to pu- pull her out of it. Right. And you know, it's just one of those things like, no, no one can save me. Okay, fine, fine. That's how you feel. Just go about your business. Yeah, you do, you pumpkin, but do it quietly over there. Um, actually, so, yes, but then the, I feel so, I feel so hypocritical because my favorite character was Glavius Row, the tech priest, because there's this beautiful scene between him and Severito where first off, he doesn't really know how to talk to her because, you know, tech priests, they're not really people people on the best of days. And, um, but he's like, I betrayed my machine spirit. Like, I betrayed that machine, and that's awful. That makes me a horrible tech priest. And when he says to her, he's like, what would you have to use for a broken tech priest who did this awful thing? And it's the one moment of kindness and softness right. we get from Severita when she's like, you'd be surprised. And the next scene, Glavius Row is wearing a gray robe rather than the Martian red robe. So we now have a Repentia tech priest and by God, that's amazing. So I understand that it's a little shitty of me to be like, oh, the sisters of Pension are so obnoxious. But then with Glavius Foro, I'm like, well, this is awesome. But because I've, I've never seen it before. But when he was given a purpose, he snapped out of it. And oh, he man did delivered. And he did what he needed to do and he went above and beyond what was asked of oh, him. Oh yeah. Well, he definitely is on. He definitely realizes he's on a road to redemption, and that, again, by the Omnissiah, he's going to get that redemption. Whereas, the Repentia seem to be like, "I need to redeem myself, but I can't. I'm not worthy, so I'm just going to like, try to find death and hope the Emperor forgives me." Okay, whatever. Pretty much, like, ugh, honey. Like I, the only thing about. Oh, go ahead. Oh, like when Severus, like she feels like she's going to die. There's that one moment and she's like, and she's, and her thoughts are, oh, is this the moment at last? I'm so ready. It's like, okay. Let the woman die. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The only thing I will say about, I love, I love Glavius Furrow. Um, I'm not entirely sure I trust him. I think he might be tainted. I think he might be tainted, not through any fault of his own, but they took control of him once. Mm-hmm. And I mean, even though it was really more of his organic side, which I did love when he was like my weak organic side. <laughs> <laughs> oh, pumpkin. Um, but, mechanical pumpkin. Um, but they've got that door in. I feel like they could get the door in again. I don't know. Or what if they... What if unbeknownst to him, but notes to us, he's recording everything and like sending it out. Well, kind of like Anna. Yeah. I don't believe she knew what she was. Oh, she had no idea. And I, Glavis for Roe, I don't think, I mean, obviously he didn't undergo the same, the same undead treatment that she did, but he's a tech priest. So it makes me a little nervous that maybe there's something going on with him but i like him so there better not be <laughs> and then to balance cleander i really liked viola i thought she oh, was really I fun loved i loved how sassy she was but not not shitty she was just right. i mean a woman of action right like we're gonna get this done i don't have time for this bullshit i really liked her 
Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I liked her a lot too. Like I said, there's really like I liked everybody except for Severita. Severita was definitely my least favorite, um, and then Anna just because it wasn't her fault. No, it wasn't her fault, and she's not. I, and and uh, her second life is not going to be very happy. <laughs> uh, no, 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 no. Um. So I really liked his pet psyker, but we'll talk about her more in a second. But I um I don't think she's gonna be very kind to Inna. Not not through like, you know, being rude intentionally, but trying to unpack that little I think Rubik's cube. You know, you're gonna have the um feeling of um, you know, she's kind of technically dead, so doesn't really matter if we make it hurt unpeel that mm-hmm. yeah, I agree so this is very near and dear to your heart but how do you feel about the Thorians it's near and dear to my heart uh, well I mean so I was kind of laughing when they were describing what the Thorians their whole ideal is I was like man I've been saying that all along so that I've been referencing dogma and calling it you know the ski ball theory mm-hmm. in case you guys haven't seen dogma the whole idea one of the the craziest things that goes on in dogma is that there's the idea that God loves playing skee-ball. And every now and then, God inhabits a human being, plays skee-ball, wins because it's God, and donates all the tickets to, you know, some you know homeless kids or something so they can get some a prize or something. It's just one of God's little guilty pleasures. And Azrael's minions knock, put God put the body that God's inhabited into a coma. So like the only way to bring God back is to have the body die. But he's officially trapped in the body. And that's kind of what I've been saying about the emperor all along. It's like, what if he's just begging everybody, just unplug me, please. Let me die. I can come back. And there is, there's compelling evidence to that. Um, If you've ever read Vulcan Lives in the Horus Heresy, Vulcan is a perpetual and he can't really be killed he comes back and they deal with that a little bit um as much as i dislike the human perpetual concept with damon and john grammaticus they deal with that a little bit where they kind of talk about how like oh yeah if you really mess up you can just kind of basically die and just still be there um the emperor's obviously a perpetual um there is there is a valid theory for it right i so this is me being a contrarian i kind of was on board with that theory but then as soon as i found out that a bunch of inquisitors were onto it i was like you know what no you guys are wrong (laughs) so now now i'm very anti-thorian because i'm a child (laughs) all i'm gonna say is i had this theory before i knew it was a thing so we both, I mean, we've both been saying mm-hmm. that for a while, right? And now I'm changing my tune because the Inquisition is wrong. That's so petty. It's so petty. It, it is so super petty. But, and I was actually really shocked when Covenant was like, I'm a Thorian. And I was like, whatever. It's kind of heartbreaking how petty you are. Yeah. I just saying I don't like the Inquisition. And yeah. So I... I, it's interesting to me 
and they didn't delve into it very much, but they just kind of believe that that's a thing. I would be interested to know why they believe that's a thing. Like, do they know about Vulcan? Do they know that he's a perpetual? Do they know about other perpetuals? Or have they just kind of created this theory in a bubble? Or they might be looking at some of the saints. Like, that could be. You know, Celestine. So, yeah, Celestine. <laughs> okay, you know, I mean, she keeps coming back. Um, and doing right. doing the will of the emperor, and she's always where she comes back is always it's never a good place. She never comes back to a picnic. It's always some massive crap going on, like uh, the thirteenth Cru- Black Crusade, or um, on this planet with Karn, <laughs> or you know, on this other uh, in her book, the other planet. Where they're going up against these demons, and there's a With an inquisitor who there's wants a, to kill her. Yeah, a fun little inquisitor. But so on those lines, that makes that theory even more interesting. That they have this idea that oh, we just need to kill the emperor and he'll come back. And yet, you, there's inquisitors that decry the saints as really being demons because they die and they come back. It's really weird because that, so that one Inquisitor that was going up against her and mm-hmm. in her book, he was from the Ordo Hereticus. Right. I kind of can't stand them. Um, Kral is, I think Kral is the exception to the rule when it comes to the mm-hmm. Ordo Hereticus. Because um, even though, yes, okay, so yes, Eisenhorn is a heretic, but I can't get behind in that short story, The Keeler Image how the Ordo Hereticus was trying to get a hold of him. It's just so wrong on so many levels, and I just never really liked them. The Ordo... Gauntlets and eggs, people. I, yeah, that's kind of how they feel about everything, but um, being at the Ordo Malleus, I could see them being a little more sympathetic to the saints. Because I just see the Ordo Malleus almost being a little more religious than, than others. So, randomly, we've been watching The the Great on Hulu. I highly recommend it. Nicholas Holt is a friggin' treasure. Um, but there was this line, he plays Peter, uh, married to Catherine the Great, and obviously before the coup. And um, he is negotiating with the King of Sweden, and they start, like, the negotiations are going sour, and they both lose their temper. And at one point, Peter is like, there's like 10 million of us and 1 million of you. We're Russian. We don't care how many people we kill. And I was like, like the Imperium. Mm-hmm. Just so, throw bodies at the problem. I actually even said to my husband as we were watching it, I was like, huh, he's basically like an Inquisitor. <laughs> I imagine him. Now I'm going to imagine Nicholas. I want somebody needs to write that book with Nicholas Holt as Peter as an Inquisitor. Anyways, I have ideas. Um, But yes, this idea that the Ordo Hereticus I have major problems with, but it's not just that one Inquisitor who doesn't like the saint. I just find it very funny that you can have this concept of Thorians. And then also, well, these people keep coming back. They must be demons. None of you guys get along. Which is goes back to you know page 36 in my book those early lines about divergence which leads to violence which leads can lead to conflict which can lead to violence i mean i would love it you know if there was and happened to be 
let's say, Inquisitor Malleus. Actually, Inquisitor Malleus would have been great in um, the Celestine book. That would have been a perfect place for an Inquisitor Malleus to, to be. Right. And if they, you right. know, and, and let's say that if it was Inquisitor Malleus and they were a Thorian, what would that look like? That would have been fascinating watching these two Inquisitors just beat the crap out of each other. Especially right. if they both happen to be psychers. Mm-hmm. Yes. Very much so. And it adds color to the Hollow Mountain books, too, right? Mm-hmm. Especially that first book where they've hired an Eldar, not a good one, um, to fix the chair because they're worried that the chair is breaking. Right. So this very interesting idea of all these different sects. So then you have the Horusians, who their central tenant is that to in order to beat chaos, we had our chance, we haven't been able to do it. Horus might not have been wrong in that we need to start using a little bit of chaos and enslave chaos to then fight chaos. And we need to find ourselves the answer to the emperor to then defeat chaos. Because apparently they just don't understand how chaos works. Actually, you know, when I was reading that, I was thinking, you guys aren't Herusians. You're Magnusians. I actually had the same thought as well. Where I was like, yeah, no, I think you maybe. Well, so let's talk about that for a second. One of the things that's very interesting is that they mentioned Horus, right? And as we know, not everybody knows about Horus in the Imperium. So the fact that they know about it, that's interesting. Do they actually know the full story or fully understand it that they would call themselves that based on what well, we want to enslave chaos? I, I think maybe you glossed over. Yeah. That's not Horace exactly what Horace did. Um, he didn't even, just a few parts. Yeah. He didn't even try to enslave chaos. I mean, he willingly, you know, kind of turned himself over to the point where Abaddon is even disgusted by it. He's like, you're letting it control you. And it, and it was Magnus who was like, who's his whole idea with the great ocean was if I learn more about it, I can master it. That was right. his whole thing. Uh, but do I think that well, no, Magnesian doesn't sound as good as Horusian. Well, no, it doesn't have the same, you know, ring to it, but um, that's how they chose the name. <laughs> but as to with, do they know Horus? I mean, it depends, you know, I mean, because go back to, um, uh, the Carrion Throne, when Kral sees the statue with, nine, with 18. Oh, is it 20? Doesn't matter. All the sons. And he's like, well, who are all these? You know, he didn't know Horus. Um, I don't. I think, honestly, I think the ones who know Horus are the ones who might get a little too close. Some of the Chaos Marines. That really could be that. And I think this might be, again, is this, is this the price you pay? Again, looking at Magnus, mm-hmm. is this the price you pay for knowing all of this? Like, okay, so you guys have looked into the warp. You have seen all the dark, dark, dirty secrets. Is this then the price you pay that just like Magnus, you're like, I got this. Right. We got this. We can do this. And when you have all this power unchecked that you have these people, and again, very dangerous people because they're very powerful people. Uh, and my first thought when I was reading the book was actually I thought about the Magos. And at the end of the Magos, when um, 
when Eisenhorn enslaves that chaos machine and he's trying to remember he's trying to use it and utilize it and bring it under his control and they're kind of telling him like you're gonna kill billions and he's like yes definitely but might save the Imperium my first thought was I think you might be transitioning to a Herusian like transitioning away from what you were which is already like oh maybe dabble a little bit in chaos mm-hmm. and going straight up to Herusian right and again going he's gone from Xanthite to Herusian and going back to the Harvey Dent speech is this the natural progression of Inquisitors and borrowing Joseph's thing they're never simple mm-hmm. and it doesn't Older improve one. with age right it was just the whole thing like everything kept clicking together for me and I was like Argh. again to your point it's very much a critique of the Inquisition oh yes absolutely <sighs> And I don't even know what they're trying to accomplish, to be totally honest. With like, I, I guess don't with think they are trying right. To I mean, because you're talking about like ens- enslaving chaos. I mean, so there is that one inquisitor that is um, interrogating Kane, our our wonderful Iskander Kane, and mm-hmm. so she knows about Horace because he's telling everything about you know. That uh, Biles experiment and Horace coming back and Abaddon killing Horace and blah 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 blah. But apparently she hasn't gotten the word out to everybody about Kane and that he, you know, he had this one one line. No, it doesn't. But he had this one line in there that I just loved. And as a thousand son, he knows what he's talking about when he was saying that. Uh, warp is a tool those who think they can master it fall to it it's just this wonderful things like he understands how the warp works you can't look too deep because you just got to use it for what you need and move on which is arguably the mistake that magnus made and araman and you know that's a pretty long list of the people who made that mistake it's unfortunate with magnus like he was doing it because his dad kept telling him that you know not to do it, not to do it. And he's like, but I want to show you that I can, and then you'll be proud of me. And that's one thing that kept, you know, being mentioned in the Thousand Sons book was that, he's, mm-hmm. you know, when he discovered that one webway and he was like, dad, check this out. Like I did this and we found these things down there. He's like, yeah, I took care of that like a long time ago. And he's like, man, what can I do to make dad proud of me? And it's like, dang it. Right. It all goes back to daddy issues. It's like what we said. It's like Fulgrim's on the pole. Pretty much. So, speaking of touching the warp, let's talk a little bit about Cade Zecker. I don't know. That? I don't know what that was. <laughs> I don't know what she was in the end. Right? So, I will say that was some fine writing. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, the whole... When she starts kind of losing her mind and the blink, blink. She's forcing herself. Yeah. That was beautiful. And especially, I loved the scene where it was blink, blink, blink. And then all of a sudden, she realizes that her second is in front of her. And he's like, why do you have a gun? Right. Oh. And the whole, that whole scene was wonderful. And I love when the psyker pulls her into the dream world and a la Inception. And is like, you know, I didn't realize that you were a latent psyker and I'm very sorry mm-hmm. but 
this is a fucking nightmare right now and i need you to i need you to focus i need you to get a grip right now (laughs) we need to get control get control your powers right now (laughs) right right now we need to make you to come to terms with this jean gray um but when she she loses control and when she starts to fall when she's like oh oh i kind of understand what's going on here i'm a god that broke my heart but then somehow she pulls out of it mm-hmm. right as she destroys her ship she then rebuilds it and pulls out of it right that's some holy shit power which is why my last i was like what are you <laughs> like this is beyond my scope i thought you were just an emergent psyker <laughs> and and i don't know what's going on now so, to the point before when they talked about how Talicto was trying to make, um, that he was trying to make saints, and that, uh, I can't think of his name right now, but Covenant's previous master, oh, um, Argento. Argento, was trying to make saints as vessels, potentially for the emperor. That was the only thing I could think of, because that was pretty outstanding power and pretty outstanding control. And at first I was like, okay, this is just some latent psycher stuff, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. But it was when my lasso was like, what are you? Then I was like, oh, shoot. You shocked the psyker. Like, that's probably not a good sign. Generally, no. But then they never went into anything further. So that was, one, that was one thing I put in my notes. I'm like, what was she? Will they go into this? I have to know these things. Okay. So I had asked, and the questions I had said, will we see her again? And we both are kind of like, mm-hmm. do you want to see her again? Yes, because I have questions. <laughs> Same. I, at the end of that book, I was like, well, we better see her again. So actually, when you and I were talking, and we were talking about what our next book was going to be, you had wanted to push for Lucas the Trickster, and you hadn't finished the book yet. That's the reason that I was like, we have to read Insurrection next. Her incarnation incarnation Incarnation. (laughs) i wanted to combine the two titles anyways we have to read incarnation next because i'm like i wouldn't know what happened to cade well i have other questions like um galbus what message did he send and who was that to then well we don't so let's talk about that okay first questions first was that idris it could have been i have no idea and it could have been a seed for something else going on. I want it to be a dress. I mean, I, you saying that, it would make a little bit of sense that he's kind of warning her that, oh, by the way, Orsino just like said everything about Telecto's uh, last, last known whereabouts. Right. So I think Galbus and the Navigator House I think they reached out to the members of the triumvirate because they were all ready. They were basically ready and waiting for Covenant and them to show up. Right. And that the navigators, that was my next question. I was like, what are they really up to? I mean, I know what they're up to. Saving their own skin is what they're up to. So they've just played, you know, both. I mean, if that's who they contacted was the other triumvirate, they were playing both sides Oh, yeah. So that they could stay alive, basically. Because if Covenant loses, they didn't want, you know, whoever they contacted, we'll say Triumvirate, come in and kill them all. 
Well, yeah, like the Kings have covenant declaring them heretic and having assisted in this. So they have to throw him a bone. Right. And but, get them to swear on his behalf. Well, yeah. exactly. And if I throw you the bone, but then I call the person who can destroy the bone. Right. I mean, right. they were kind of in a win-win situation there, which also pisses me off. Right. Navigators don't ever trust them, but can't ever trust anybody with a third eye. Um, <laughs> words of wisdom, really. Um, so you had that, that that was very interesting. So here's my concern. I got my concern. John French wrote a short story, which I'm about to spoil for you. Sorry. No, I read it today. Excellent. So he wrote a short story called We Are, we Are One, right? Mm-hmm. And it's about an inquisitor who is searching for this mysterious chaos lord. I can't remember the name, but it starts with the P. Fokram. Thank you, Fokram. He's searching for him. And he keeps getting close, but it just kind of keeps slipping through his grasp. And he discovers in the end that Fokram does not even exist. It is just a cipher that the Alpha Legion uses. And the story ends with the Alpha Legionnaire appearing, looking exactly like the Inquisitor. So. Yeah, I will say, so when I got to those last couple of pages, because it immediately switches, you know, from the Inquisitor's point of view to the fake Inquisitor's point of view. And I was just basically going, like, I was ha- I was smiling and sometimes going, oh, oh, God, oh, God. You know, just it just shatters everything. But it's why I love the Alpha Legion so much. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, it's actually why I, like, I'm starting to, like, get really irritated with the Alpha Legion. Because when I first read that short story, I was like, mm. and then as we were reading this book, when we got to that part, I was like, I really hope this is interesting. My husband was like, you know, it's Alpha Legion. And so we were talking about that story. And I was like, who even wrote that? It's John French. Our boy already planted the seed of doubt. Uh, I want him to write more Alpha Legion because that novella was fucking amazing. It is a wonderful story. And I'm really sorry if you haven't read it that we kind of spoiled it. But it's totally worth reading it because it's very well written. And I've glossed over a lot of the creepier parts of it. Mm -hmm. Or a lot of the cooler parts of it. So I gave the two log did not read summary. So I'm very, very concerned. Now, the only thing that makes me think that it's Idris is when she looks at Covenant and she's like, you weren't supposed to be there. Right. Because it made it almost sound like I wasn't, I, I didn't want to, to kill I didn't you. want to hurt you. Yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, obviously we had to, but that kind of sucks. Uh, and she did need to die. But it's very Alpha Legion-y when he was like, well, you know, all these Inquisitors got away. And she's like, yeah. And they're all at each other's throat. Yeah. So we won. It was like, oh. That is, that is very, that is very awful, Legion. <laughs> yeah. Which I support the Alpha Legion in this endeavor. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, I, I don't. And the only reason I don't is because, again, the Inquisitors have so much power with them fighting. The innocent bystanders are, oh my God. 
But that's, like, I mean, as we saw in the um, the Emperor's Gift, right? Right, but yeah, but they're, <laughs> they're in fighting. Reboot Gulliman is back, and he's picking a fight with them. Only good things are going to come from this. But how many people have to die for that? Okay, so now now you're an omelets and eggs person. I feel like I feel as though you've been corrupted by the Inquisition now. <laughs> Inquisitor Carrie over there. Okay, look. I'm not fully supporting Robbie Robbie Bobby's, you know, uh, notion of, uh, well, we got to abandon the Imperium on the other side of the rift. Sorry, guys. Like, I understand it, but I don't like it. You're not fully supporting Robbie Bobby? He's not a god. <laughs> He's not infallible. Oh, are you? Oh, Okay. Oh my God, because you support know. everything Perturbo does? Yes. <laughs> I do, actually. <laughs> I don't... Yes. Even I... the Iron Cage? <laughs> I would have advised against the Iron Cage. <laughs> but I understood the anger. Flish. <laughs> streak and for turbo is quite the petty little bitch <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I appreciate his pettiness like you know what rogel once said he was gonna bring me back to Terra in an iron cage parry this you fucking casual <laughs> and robbie bobby shows up to bail them to bail rogel out say so don't question robbie bobby no, I look. I'm so. I don't want to be in Robbie Bobby's shoes for half the decisions that he makes. Because, like I said, I understand why he made that decision to declare, you know, in Imperium Nihilus. It sucks, and I feel really bad for all all those people. But they're just kind of forgotten about now, you know. Also, along those lines, this book ends in a voice. A voicemail to Robbie Bobby. What's the years in this? Um, it takes because remember they mentioned the rift. They do talk about the rift. Oh, I didn't so this catch that. Yeah, they talk about the. Um, uh, well, this the was written in the same year as um, as everything happened, so it makes sense. Right, but they mentioned the uh, I can the cicatrix maledictum. Okay, I didn't notice that. Yeah, they mentioned it a couple times and how it's kind of. It's a dark times right now. Now, I don't know the exact years, and I don't know if they've been in contact with Robbie G, because um, they didn't mention him at all. But but they wouldn't. I feel as to though be fair. Be, I feel as though this is a phone call. So this is a voicemail. It's probably not going to be prioritized very high. More like a P2 than a P0. But um, I don't know if Covenant would. I don't know. I I don't know. I don't. Uh, that's a good point. Like, hey, Rob. So these guys are trying to start a civil war with the Inquisition. I can't imagine Rob being like, "Whew, that's a you problem." <laughs> Actually, I could just see him listening to that on his voicemail, double over laughing, like, "Have fun with that." <laughs> that is not a me problem. <laughs> Send a raven. We'll let them know. We'll get to it when we get to it. So. Who could possibly be the other members of the Triumvirate? I suspect yeah. that 
Quaden? Quaden? Really? That lady. She was kind of a bitch. Mm-hmm. Now, is she too on the nose? I mean, I don't know. So they, so it's a wanderer, a seer, which I'm guessing the seer was Idris, and crap, wanderer, a seer. Oh wait, it was the wanderer. This I thought there was a witch, and I thought that was Idris. Was that it? Was it a witch? The wanderer, a seer, and a witch? Oh, that's what it was. Now, oh, gosh darn it! I know that I, I know that I bookmarked this somewhere, but yeah, I have to go and see what it was now. But yeah, there was the Wanderer of the Seer. Notice when there was a witch in there too, because I was like, oh shit, that's it. Well, if, the, if it's the witch, then Idris is obviously the witch. Right. But the witch. as for everybody else, I don't know. The Wanderer. I mean, who knows with, with, with that? I have no idea. Is it somebody we haven't seen yet? I mean, is that going to be the theme? I'm, is that every book we get introduced to a new member? Because. To be fair, that actually makes it a trilogy, doesn't it? Right, which I think the third book is not exactly, like, it's not a novel. I think it's an anthology. No, it is an anthology. But I think there's I think there's scheduled to be, like, a third actual entry into the series as okay. well. Okay, interesting. So, but I could, be, I could be wrong. But, um, yeah. I do not trust that lady. Oh, well, no. She was so awful in the beginning. And then now she's she, and then, you know, at the end, she's like, oh, it's such a shame about vaults. Like, you've done a really good thing today. It's like, what have you been doing? Right. Like, you have literally done nothing. Well, but I did like, and the only reason I didn't trust her was at the end when she's like, so do you know who the other members are? When he's like, yeah, we have no idea. I don't think he would have or, told her if he did know. Wait, or did he not even mention that there was? Now I'm trying to think. I don't Shit. remember off the top of my head. I don't either. But it was an interesting thing, right? Mm-hmm. So I think, I guess, and now we have to wait. Okay. First of all, we have to wait because blame Black Library for this. Okay? This is all Black Library's fault. So reason why we're not reading um, Incarnation immediately after because we just discovered this week that the revered Josh Reynolds is no longer writing for Black Library. That seems to be, I don't know if it's officially stated anywhere, but he has basically said that it's not, it's going to be a long time before he has another book come out here. And there was a big Reddit post that referenced a post that he put on a blog platform. Tumblr. It was Tumblr. Was it Tumblr? Mm-hmm. Somewhere, but it's no longer there. But that basically he's... Sounds like he's not going to be writing for the Black Library anymore, which is a bummer. Well, you, uh, we found that tweet that said Manflare was going to be his last book. That's right. Yes. And so it's kind of a bummer. So we're going to read Lucas the Trickster um, because we really like Josh Reynolds. And if Josh Reynolds could make Fabulous Bill, likable. I can't hold up my copy because I didn't buy it because I suck. It's on digital. It's on my iPad. Well, um, but, you know, t to be fair, like, we kind of, we really decided this book at last minute and it's out of print. So, because, um, well, one of the reasons why we, we decided to jump ahead and do this, especially because Jen had no interest in reading this book. And the only reason why this even popped up is because 
we learn with this Reddit thread that one of the reasons why they weren't really pushing his books is because they said his books didn't sell. So we're doing our part, purchasing some books, even though, you know, too little, too late, I guess. I don't know. Like, I think I, I own most of the books he he has written. I only picked this, I only picked this up at, um, at the Citadel because I saw Josh Reynolds' name on it. That's the only reason why I, I picked it up. Right. So, um, you know, if you guys have been waffling on any Josh Reynolds books, you know, speak, this is the only way we can speak to the Black Library and that's to help get these books off the shelves. You know, if you've known anybody who's not read Apocalypse, first of all, ask them what's wrong with them. Seriously. Um, and tell them not to judge it by the boring Imperial Fist on the cover. Because that's, that's a, that's big, that's a, that's a thing. Yeah, that that's a big mislead on there. So, so that is why we are doing Lucas the Truckster. We may actually really hate this book, but still doing our part to support Josh Reynolds wherever we can until May and until Manflayer releases. I have high hopes actually because based on what he did with Cal Jericho, I have high hopes. Um, if he could make Fabulous Bill likable, or at least his entourage around him likable. He can make Fabulous Bill entertaining. We'll say that. Yeah, I have high hopes. So that is going to be our next book, our 31st book that we're reading. Uh, Lucas the Trickster by Josh Reynolds. So come get some. We're going to bounce, which is really hilarious, given that we just read Emperor's Gift. Um, Space Wolves and the Inquisition don't really like each other anymore. Mm, so no. we're going to read Inquisition, Space Wolves, Inquisition, because by God, we're beating Incarnation. i got to know what happens. And then we're going to go to another Space Wolves book to be Space Wolves. That just came out of my mouth. To be revealed. Hmm. Yeah, so we're going Inquisition, those who hate the Inquisition, Inquisition, back to those who hate the Inquisition, and then maybe the third book, and then Ariman. <laughs> so this is going to be like the... Maybe, hopefully, but hopefully they start publishing new books and we get new things. Oh, well, that that would be, would be nice too, but otherwise it's going to be the John French show starring John French. Yeah, John French as John French. John French, John French, John French, John French. Um, Malkovich? Malkovich, Malkovich. Exactly. Yep, alright. <laughs> there's a lot worse ways to spend your summer. Do you want to take us out, Carrie? Yeah, I mean, Ariman can't be that bad. Oh, wait. Might have just cursed myself there. He might be just that bad. But, thank you so much for listening to the Warhammer 40k book club episode regarding Resurrection, the Horesian Wars by John French. Be sure to join us for our next book, Lucas the Trickster by Josh Reynolds. We are an unofficial book club and not affiliated with the Black Library or any of its affiliates. You can find both the vidcast and podcast on our website, wh40kbookclub.com. If you like this episode, please like, subscribe, give a review, and all those things to the vidcast on YouTube or the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Don't forget, we also have a Patreon where we offer two different tiers of content for your viewing and listening pleasure. You can learn more about that at patreon.com slash wh40kbookclub. Our site also has articles about our adventures in reading other Warhammer 40k books and short stories outside of the book club books. So please stay a while and read from a crap. Good night, everybody. Good night.
episode of the Warhammer 40k book club is hosted by Jen Bozier and me. Recording and editing of both the vidcast and podcast were done by me. The book club questions and discussion format were done by Jen, and all of our music is by Jingle Punks. The Warhammer 40k book club is a Warhammer LLC production. This is a Voxcast that even he, Cato Sicarius, would approve.